okay, it's time to get you right. It's the legal lens with Angela Redock Wright. KBLA Talk, 1580. Every Saturday, 11 a.m., baby. Bringing light to law. Hit it, educate, engage, and empower you all. Leading attorneys, policy makers. No fake in history in the making. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens show. Come on, let's go. It's time for the legal lens. It's time for the legal lens. Go, 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 go. Good morning, KBLA Talk 1580 listeners. It is the second weekend of February 2022. And yes, you have tuned in to the right place. You're listening to The Legal Lens with Angela Redock Wright, where we bring law to light each Saturday and Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And I am Angela Redock Wright, yours truly. We are broadcasting from Lamert Park, USA, part of the famous Crenshaw District, which is home to the Los Angeles black culture scene and next door to Inglewood, California, where we are hosting the the Super Bowl with the Los Angeles Ram, whose house, Rams, whose house is it? It's the Rams house. Of course, I'm a hometown girl, so I am rooting for our hometown team, the Los Angeles Rams. You can follow me at I am Angela Redock Wright on Facebook and Instagram to learn the latest about our show and our other work we're doing in the legal community. Wow, wow, wow. I cannot believe it is February already. It's a month that's filled with so many exciting things. Of course, Black History Month. Happy Black History Month, everyone. As I already mentioned, it's Super Bowl weekend. If you are not in Los Angeles, um, you would not realize just the energy around town. It's just buzzing from every corner of town, not just Inglewood, from downtown LA to the surrounding parts of Inglewood. Just folks are excited and they're out and about and they're celebrating. And just what a great, great time for our city and for our county to to have this opportunity to host a Super Bowl. Um, It's also Valentine's Day weekend. I know everybody doesn't necessarily celebrate Valentine's, but it's a great, yes, it's commercial, but it's a great time to just be reminded of love and those that we love, not just our partners, but our family, our friends, um, people that are special to us. So happy love weekend. Uh, Show love to someone in your life this weekend. And I just hope overall that this weekend you'll find find time to refresh and to rejuvenate and to spend time with those that you care about the most. Um, Los Angeles, we are experiencing 80 plus degree weather. In fact, it's supposed to be, I think, the hottest Super Bowl on record, um, at least in recent times. And um, I'm sorry if you're not from LA and you're perhaps in a part of the country where you're experiencing, you know, um, not so great weather, but we are sending all of our warmth and love and hugs to you wherever you are in the country. And of course, that reminds me, I just want to thank all of you who listen in to the Legal Lens Show each week. We started in October 2022 and our audience has been steadily growing 
We could not grow. We could not be who we are. We could not have a talk show without folks who are listening and calling in and engaging with us. So thank you so much. And please continue to spread the word. And then I want to thank, of course, our um, our Legal Lens host, our jingle writer, J-Star. Love her. She's doing great things in the music and television industry, a young adult, millennial. We interviewed her back in December uh, as a part of our Who's Got Now series. So thank you, J-Star. And if you want to learn more about her, you can follow her at J-Star Music on Instagram. This is the second week in February and on this on February 12th um, in 1909, um, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP, was founded in New York City by a group of black and white citizens committed to social justice. So shout out to the NAACP and for the historical significance of that organization and all of the work that they continue to do. In fact, the head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, um, Cheryl Eiffel, is considered one of the top candidates for President Joe Biden's appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court. So even today, the NAACP continues to make great strides. So kudos to to that organization for all it means. Um, Speaking of the NAACP, this is Black History Month, and we have a great show planned for you. Um, That sort of builds on Black history. And um, in this month of February, we wanted to do a series of shows focused on legal and policy issues that have a direct impact on the lives of Black folks and people of color. So we kicked off the month last week with um, the amazing Congresswoman Karen Bass and her mentee and protege, Los Angeles City Councilman Marquise Harris-Dawson, who spoke about the recent federal infrastructure bill passed in Congress and what that bill means in terms of jobs and the economy and housing and voting rights. And today we get to continue building on that discussion, talking about race discrimination in employment law. Um, We know at the heart of Black history and the history of of Blacks in the U.S. and um, at, you know, one of the cornerstones of what issues that we talk about during Black History Month is the issue of race discrimination. And of course, um, that issue arises in many contexts. But today we're talking about it in in the context of work and employment. And um, to help us with this, this discussion today, we have two noted attorneys, two attorneys that are are leaders in the field that are, are well regarded and are at the top of their game. And I'm just honored that they said yes to coming in uh, to joining us today. One is uh, my very good friend, attorney Bernard Alexander, uh, RJ Bernard Alexander III. Um, his friends call him Bernard. <laughs> um, and he's a partner and a founder of the firm Alexander Morrison and Fair. Good morning, Bernard. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you so much. I look forward to our listeners getting to um, know you. Who are you rooting for for the Super Bowl? Absolutely the Rams. All right. All right. You're in the right place then. And then joining Bernard, we have on the line um, someone I'm excited to get to know and is um, he and Bernard are working working together on uh, the Tesla matter.
matter and some other matters. Larry or attorney Lawrence Oregon, also known as Larry of the California Civil Rights Law Group based in the Bay Area of California. How are you, Mr. Oregon? Uh, I'm great, Angela, and uh, I'm going for the Rams, too. Very so. good, very good. Is They're the California team, right? They're not just the Inglewood or the Los Angeles team. They are the California team. So we have these two attorneys in um, with us today, and they're going to help us. Um, we're going to learn about their verdict in the case Diaz versus Tesla, which is the largest they received a verdict of 136 million dollars and against Tesla and that is the largest verdict for race discrimination for a single plaintiff matter in the history of not just the US but in the world I believe and they'll help us to to understand that so they we're going to go behind the scenes on that case learn about the dynamics of it and what led to that jury verdict but also utilize their brain power and intellect and knowledge of this area of law to help break down the elements of a race discrimination case in employment and what that means and what else they have on deck and um, how they're fighting for justice in so many other areas of the law. So stay tuned. Um, You don't want to miss this discussion. I know you're out and about. I know you're enjoying the weekend, but you do not want to miss this one hour discussion with attorneys Bernard Alexander and Larry Organ. You can download the app from anywhere you are, KBLA Talk 1580. Um, You can, of course, can listen on your radio. And we want you to call in. Um, We do have time for questions today. Give us a call at 1-800-920-1580. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580, Legal Lens with Angela Redock-Wright. And we have a lot to talk about. Stay tuned. More of Legal Lens with Angela Redock-Wright. Helping you see legal issues more clearly when we come forward. Yes, of course, that is Al Green. Let's stay together. You are listening to KVLA Talk 1580, Legal Lens with Angela Redock Wright. And this weekend, a lot's happening this weekend, but one of the things that's um, on calendar for this weekend, it's called Black Love Month and Black Love Weekend. So we are celebrating black love and love in general by playing some of our favorite love songs from our from uh, some of our top artists. So that was Let's Stay Together, Al Green. Um, in studio, we have attorney Bernard Alexander III and Larry Organ, who are um, going to help, who will help us dissect um, their recent lawsuit against Tesla, where they got the largest verdict in history of $136 million against Tesla for a single plaintiff race dis- racial harassment and discrimination case. And then they're going to um, help us to dissect just um, a race discrimination case and employment in general and what that means and what trends they're seeing in their practice. So I'm so happy to welcome them. This is your opportunity to, if you have a question about your work and your workplace and issues of race discrimination, this is the time um, to give um, these two stalwarts in our profession a call at one 800 So let me just do brief introductions of both. Bernard Alexander, he is a partner in the firm Alexander Morrison and Fur of Los Angeles. Um, He is a plaintiff employment and civil rights attorney who has tried over 60 cases to verdict 
often with seven, eight, and eight, nine, and now a 10 figure verdict, including the October 2021 $136.9 million verdict in Diaz versus Tesla, the largest single plaintiff race harassment um, verdict in history. Of course, Bernard is well regarded and recognized in the legal professions. He, um, right now, he is uh, the cover of a magazine that we all follow in our legal community called Super Lawyers, and he is named as one of the top California lawyers and employment lawyers um, by Super Lawyers, along with so many other accolades. Again, welcome, Bernard. Thank you very much. And joining us is his um, partner in, I won't say crime, partner in justice, um, Lawrence Oregon, Larry Oregon, who is with the California Civil Rights Law Firm with multiple offices in the Bay Area of California. Um, He believes, Larry believes that the average person needs the best representation possible to fight for truth and justice against large corporations and other employers. He was the lead attorney, um, joined with Bernard um, in the Tesla case, which we've talked about. And he has been trial counsel in over 40 lawsuits, achieving verdicts, a a $30 million sexual harassment verdict against Ralph um, and many other large verdicts and also is named a super lawyer um, for the last 11 years. So thank you again, Larry, for being here. My pleasure. So one of the things we like to do when we have attorneys in studio and online of your stature is we like our audience to get to know you a little bit above and beyond just the cases that we talk about. So I'm going to start with you, Bernard. Tell us about where did you grow up? Tell us about kind of how you got to this place to become one of the top civil rights lawyers in our country. Well, let's see. I was uh, I've, I'm from Los Angeles, born, raised. Can't seem to uh, to find a place that I'd like to be better than this. Um, Indeed. I, I grew up. Um, I was born like in the shadows of the Coliseum. Um, the uh, riots happened in 1965. My father, the Watts riots. Watts riots. Okay. My uh, parents decided. My father decided it was time to move. We moved to the West Side. So I grew up in the Miracle Mile area, like at uh, La Brea and Wilshire. Uh, and then we moved you know, seven blocks away to Dunsmuir and Ninth, and and that's where I grew up until I was around um, around probably uh, sixteen, seventeen. Uh, went to a parochial school in Glendale, uh, then went to UCLA undergraduate. Go Bruins! Go Bruins! <laughs> absolutely great basketball team this year. Yes. Um, and um, then uh, went to Southwestern Law. Uh, Practice, uh, did defense work for about uh, seven years with a big firm downtown. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then uh, two years with a, uh, a smaller defense firm in Burbank and then opened up my own firm doing defense work for a while uh, and uh, started trying to get the the um, higher paying uh, uh, defense employment work. And uh, no one gave it to me. And the, uh, I had friends who had businesses and so they asked me to help with their work on employment and I gradually started taking plaintiff work figuring I'd do that and uh, settled an age discrimination case one of my first cases against a governmental entity and and I was hooked Uh, one because you know the individual was so pleased that I'd take his case and help him resolve it and uh, and then I started taking on more and finally decided to just shift entirely to uh, plaintiff employment law and uh, I've was uh, for two years uh, the chair of the California Employment Lawyers Association. And um, cur- and just to tell our listeners about that, that's the largest... That is the largest uh, plaintiff employment uh, organization in the 
in the uh, country by state. It is an affiliate of the National Employment Lawyers Association, which is a collective of employment associations throughout the whole of the United States and uh, the authority on on employment law uh, in the United States. And uh, and I'm currently on that. I'm currently on something called uh, uh, a workers' rights organizations. And now under pressure, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, but <laughs> you can uh, tell us later. <laughs> but I've been practicing for about about thirty years, and I do uh, plaintiff employment law as well as civil rights cases. Yes. Well, I think I didn't know about your history on the defense side. So the great thing about that is as you're representing plaintiffs in employment and civil rights cases, you know how the defense side thinks. You'd hope that I'd be able to have a conversation (laughs) with the defendant, with the defense attorney, and and, because I understand how they analyze things. And and sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes I'm able to to persuade them why there's liability, why they should resolve a case, and uh, sometimes not. But at least I I know what it's like to do that kind of work, and I tend to get along with most of the attorneys that I'm dealing with. Yes, yes. You have a good reputation for playing well with others and getting along with the other side. So, Larry, let's bring you into the conversation. You have a distinguished history as well. Tell us how you got to this place. Where where are you from? How did you start to do civil rights law? And how did you grab that name, California Civil Rights Law Firm? You must have um, anticipated that years ago. I'm sure that name is worth a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it, it was a good thing. Actually, my paralegal, uh, Matt Stanford, is the one that came up with that. Okay. But, uh, uh, so I was born in Fontana, um, and my dad went to Fairfax High. And, okay, so you're a Southern California uh, person. Well, I, I moved out, and I actually went to high school in Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's probably where my um, uh, focus on race issues really began because um, there were uh, some of the black students, and the only only black students in our high school were bused in as part of integration. And so I always felt uh, a very deep um, sense of responsibility in terms of addressing race issues. Uh, I went to Berkeley uh, undergrad and then uh, to Duke Law School, started working for the federal government. That was boring. And so (laughs) I decided, you know, that I needed to pursue my calling, which I thought was um, doing civil rights cases. So I, I went to work for a small civil rights firm in San Francisco. And then um, I uh, started working with a guy who tried a lot of sex harassment cases. And that's kind of where I learned how to uh, try cases. And we did about 10 cases together, one of which was the Rouse case down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And, and then I started my own firm. And uh, through the California Civil uh, California Employment Lawyers Association, CELA, that's how I met Bernard. He, I remember the first time he and I really talked, he was getting ready for a case. I think it was in Orange County. Mm-hmm. And um, we started talking about strategy, and we just kind of hit it off. And, you know, he's invited me to teach people at the, the uh, trial lawyers college that he started through CELA. And we've just, you know, been good friends always wanted to try a case together. And so I came to him with a Tesla case and I said, um, I think this is the, the case of a lifetime. And um, he, he's skeptical by nature. But, uh, yes, that's did, very uh, true. <laughs> he, did, he did agree to come on board and, uh, you know, it was a great collaboration. We, uh, we worked really well together. And, and he's, of course, a brilliant lawyer. 
Uh, they call him the difference maker, I think, in that su- in that super lawyer case, and he really is a difference maker. So Very it's good. a pleasure to try the case with him. Well, Larry, when I invited you today, I didn't know we had something in common that I and my family are originally from Birmingham, Alabama, and I very oh, wow. much attribute um, kind of who I am to my growing up in Birmingham and being shaped by by the times um, of, of growing up there. Yeah. So um, definitely look forward to learning more about that. So speaking of the Tesla case, um, Larry, why don't you tell us, you know, what is that case about? Um, and uh, the name of the case is Diaz versus te- Tesla, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So Owen Diaz, uh, came to us actually in response to a, uh, another um, uh, victim of race discrimination there that got some publicity. We filed a case on his behalf. And Owen came forward and said, hey, I might have something that could help you with your other case. And then he told us the story. And it turned out he had a case along with his son. And so um, just horrible racist conduct directed at him, the N-word, swastikas, uh, go back to Africa, you know, just horrendous conduct at this factory. And, you know, everybody was kind of rooting for Tesla because they're trying to change the world, make, you know, and, and climate change, but right. sending um, people to space. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Seth, yeah, sending his car to space, but you know, what we found and, and what Bernard and I prosecuted is, in this case is, uh, perhaps the worst conditions in a factory in America since uh, Jim Crow days. And and so um, very disappointing that, you know, this cutting edge company uh, is uh, permitting this kind of conduct to continue, despite the fact that they've known about it for years. And and part of the part of the reason we got the verdict, I think, is because we pointed out the irony of it being one of the largest companies being located in San Francisco in the Bay Area and having this, you know, atrocity occurring right in people's backyard. And you, you'd expect that if uh, if a person can create these wonderful cars, this forward-looking, that they'd be able to be forward-looking in terms of taking care of their workplace. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the comments I've had is uh, if if he wanted to achieve things, a better workplace, all he'd have to do is turn his attention to it. And the reason why it hasn't changed is because it's not important to him. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. It's atrocious conduct, but it's all the more atrocious that it's happening in one of the richest uh, companies in the world. What was Mr. Diaz's position with the company? He was an elevator operator. Okay, okay. So they have freight elevators that take, you know, the heavy equipment, batteries, and car parts and stuff up and down between the two floors at the factory. And so he would operate that. In fact, some people would say stuff like um, uh, N-word, push the button. And, you know, that kind of, it's just horrendous. And uh, was it um, co-workers as well as managers and supervisors that were engaging in this, this type of conduct? Both. It was both. Uh, but the primarily uh, supervisors. I mean, the, the supervisors would do it and the co-workers would join in. And it was rampant, but that the court focused on what was focus, uh, what was directed towards him. But throughout the workplace, when you walked around through the cafeteria, through other areas, you'd hear people using the N word throughout the workplace. And so Tesla, during the trial, tried to say that there was a, a friendly use of the N word in the workplace. People were were talking to their, to their colleagues using it. Um, one of the people uh, uh, that we called, one of the defense witnesses, who was 
working at a staffing company, but still had responsibility for supervising employees inside the workplace. He said he happens to be after American, that he was offended by the use of the N-word, but because he didn't have the power to do anything, uh, because the way Tesla had structured the workplace, they hired employees through staffing companies, and he didn't have control over those staffing companies directly or the employees. He said he didn't have the power to stop it. So even though he was offended by it, he you know, he didn't do anything about it. So as a consequence, throughout this huge, huge workplace, the N-word is being used constantly by a number of people, both in an offensive manner and sometimes, I assume, in a non-offensive manner. But my point uh, in the opening to the jury was it's a workplace. It's not someone's backyard. It's not someone's front porch. It's not a barbecue. The N-word shouldn't be welcome anywhere inside the workplace. And, and so and Tesla had the ability to stop it. Right. I, I imagine people I'm sitting here hearing the story from the two of you directly. I'm kind of surprised. You're surprised when you hear that a workplace like that still exists today. Um, it's my perception that many of the race discrimination cases we see deal with more what we call indirect evidence or microaggressive, more subtle behavior. But hearing about workplaces where there's direct use of racial, uh, racially derogatory terms and terms like the N word is sort of. I guess it's a little surprising in 2022. Where where did these employees come from? Like, how was this environment perpetuated? And was it like they were hiring from a certain place and that's part of the culture there? What, what, what did you guys um, attribute it to? It, it seems to be a part of the culture there because people... People are hired through staffing companies. The staffing companies, you know, essentially uh, uh, fill the, the factory with the workers that Tesla is using. And while the workers are there, they basically are encouraged. They feel like they can are comfortable doing that. People complain about it. Supervision doesn't correct it. Um, and, and the people in charge, the supervisors, engage in the conduct. So as a consequence, if no one's going to correct it, that conduct kind of just festers. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a, a little break here. But when we come forward, we're going to continue our discussion dissecting the recent $136 million verdict against Tesla led by attorneys Larry Organ and Bernard Alexander. Stay tuned. We will continue our discussion. You're listening to the all-new Weekend Lineup of enlightening, encouraging, and empowering talk shows. Exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. And that is Whitney Houston, and we're celebrating Black History, the Super Bowl, and love all in one weekend. So we're dedicating today's uh, songs to um, some of our top uh, music artists and their love songs that they've left with us. Um, Rest in peace, Whitney Houston. We definitely miss you. This is Angela Redock-Wright. You're tuned into KBLA Talk 1580 Legal Lens with Angela Redock-Wright. And speaking of love, we just want to remind you about Smooth Jazz Valentine's concert this Saturday, today, February 12th at 7.30 p.m., featuring Kenny Lattimore, Najee, and more performing at the Terrace Theater in the Long Beach Performing Arts Center. Tickets are still on sale at rainbowpromotions.com. So definitely, oh, it's Saturday. It's the 12th. No, I think it's only the 12th. I thought it was tomorrow as well. But you definitely want to catch that concert. It's going to be a great, great concert. We are talking to two of the top employment lawyers and civil rights lawyers in the country, Bernard Alexander and Larry Organ. They were co-counsel together on 
a case called Diaz versus Tesla, where they got the largest verdict in the history of the world on race discrimination and employment cases for a single plaintiff case, a $136 million verdict. They were um, right before the break, they were just breaking down um, kind of the elements of the case and what um, drove the jury verdict at a, a level of $136 million. So Bernard, I want to just um kind of pick up on where we left off in litigation I'm a mediator and arbitrator now um, but oftentimes when I was a litigator we talk about what's the smoking gun evidence meaning is was that what's the key piece of evidence that perhaps is going to take a case over you know over the top um for either side so clearly that the evidence worked in your favor and and Larry's favor in this case, and your client's favor, what was there a smoking gun piece of evidence or a key piece of evidence that you really think sold the jury on a verdict of this level? Well, the um, so in terms of the case, it was a hostile work environment case. Yes. And so we had to prove that um, that the workplace had been trained, uh, changed, uh, and or, that it was severe or pervasive. We had uh, a number of different people testify that the N-word was being used inside the workplace, uh, that it was directed towards our client. Uh, but we couldn't put him on the witness stand first. We had to put on other people because he's the less, least credible person at the beginning. So we used their supervisors to basically tell the story that the N-word was used throughout the workplace, that uh, the client had complained about it, and that, uh, and that nothing was done. Mm -hmm. uh, one of, there's one person, uh, Ramon Martinez, who was a repeat offender. And uh, after we put on a bunch of other evidence, we put on evidence that uh, he had drawn a pickaninny uh, on, on a bale. Uh, the elevators were used to move heavy equipment up and down, and these this bale was uh, post, uh, after it had been used, it needed to be taken down. And Martinez had left this pickaninny there uh, for the client to find. Client came back, found it there, and complained, brought supervisors over. The supervisors looked to figure out who it was. They ultimately brought over Martinez. At first, he denied that he had drawn it, and then he acknowledged that he had drawn it, and so he was, he was sent home. His version is he apologized twice to our client, and, and our client said to him, well, because it's you, it's okay. Uh, we won't... Uh, I, I won't. I won't make a complaint about it. That's what he said inside of a statement that he wrote. But the thing is, he got off work at about I think four in the morning or something like that, and then he went home. And then he was called to come back to come back and write a statement. Our client wrote the statement throughout the night because he was still doing his job. So in okay. between, he'd write the statement, write the statement, and so he wasn't able to send the statement until about nine o'clock in the morning okay. to supervision. So when you compare, um, and so um, when you, there was a, an investigation that was done, and an investigation was done three days later, and it was based on the written statement that Martinez has done and the statement, the email that our client had sent. Right. As it turned out, there were things inside of Mr. Martinez's statement that he couldn't have known. He couldn't have known that our client wrote a wrote a statement complaining of it because he had written his statement before that and uh, before he had a chance to know. He also couldn't, um, he claimed to have apologized twice and there were two witnesses said that that never occurred. And so there were like three or four things that Martinez shouldn't have known. And the only way he could know it is people from Tesla had to have contacted him, told him to say, you got to apologize, told him to say, 
a number of things that only they he could have known through the statement our client made, and basically they they communicated to try and minimize the harm. So in so in uh, and then they also stopped the investigation that should have occurred. So the bottom line is that last incident that occurred, not only not only was it a, a racial epithet that was left for our client, right. but Tesla had gone out of its way to protect the person who had repeatedly used the N-word against our client, repeatedly threatened our client, even physically threatened, and then left this epithet. They went out of the way to help him so that his punishment would be uh, diminished so they wouldn't have to fire him. Ultimately, he was, after this incident, he was hired by Tesla directly, which showed that they could care less about whether uh, a person was using the the N-word against their employees. Oh, wow. Okay. And... And before he was employed through the temporary agency. Exactly. Right. He was a, through a staffing company. And so, Larry, what are your, your thoughts on that? Um, it sounds like the jury didn't like that story. Are they agreed that, that that story was egregious? What What do you think, what's the making of this $136.9 million verdict? Um, how did we get there? Well, our theme was that they claim zero tolerance but practice zero responsibility. And that was, I think, what drove the verdict. The other thing is we had an amazing client. Owen Diaz stood up against this uh, trillion-dollar company, and he never got impeached once on the stand. His story was always consistent. And, you know, this is really a call to the African-American community that um, we all need to be standing up and calling out racism in the workplace and um, know that there are attorneys out there that will represent you in these uh, horrific cases. I.e. Larry Organ of the California Civil Rights Law Firm and Bernard Alexander, Alexander Morrison and Fair. So definitely two leading um, firms um, right here in studio with us today. Larry, um, educate our audience a little bit. How, um, what's the makeup of the $136.9 million verdict? Is it all, um, we know as practicing attorneys that um, settlements and verdicts tend to be made up of what we call back wages and emotional distress damages and punitive damages. Is this verdict broken down in that way or is it just all just one big verdict? (laughs) It's broken down in that uh, 6.9 million of the um, verdict is in emotional distress damages, past and future, and then uh, 130 million dollars in punitive damages to try and uh, punish and deter Tesla from engaging in this kind of conduct in the future. Uh, we know from the class action that my firm and uh, uh, Brian Schwartz Law has filed is that. Um, that isn't the case and that the conduct has continued. So Tesla has not learned its lesson. The jury did the right thing. And we're now waiting to see uh, what the judge does on uh, post-trial motions. Right. And and break that down just a little bit more. Punitive damages. What does it take to prove a punitive damages case? You have to, tr- you have to prove that there's uh, malicious and oppressive conduct and that it's done by a managerial agent. So uh, we had plenty of evidence of that in this case. Yes. Bernard, were you going to add something to that? Um, that is that's absolutely true. And in, in this case, um, there were there were a number of people 
management level that claimed not to have knowledge of what was going on inside the workplace, despite the fact that they were walking around the workplace. Uh, we called half a dozen witnesses that basically confirmed that they had heard the N-word everywhere throughout the workplace. So when managers got up onto the witness stand and claimed they walked around and, and hadn't heard it, didn't know about it, it just was not credible. Yes, yes. Well, this is a great discussion we're having with attorneys Bernard Alexander and Larry Oregon about the recent verdict that they got in a Tesla case and race discrimination and employment di discrimination case cases and a call for action from Larry Oregon asking folks to step up and to give folks like him and Bernard a call. So we have plenty more to discuss with attorneys Alexander and Oregon. So stay tuned as we come forward. We'll continue our discussion on race discrimination in employment. Law. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580, Legal Lens with Angela Reddock-Wright. More of Legal Lens with Angela Reddock-Wright. Helping you see legal issues more clearly when we come forward. That's All My Life with Casey and JoJo. We are celebrating Black love, Black history. Uh, just an all-around great month of February we're celebrating today. Um, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580 Legal Lens with Angela Redock-Wright. And we would like to congratulate today's winner of the KBLA Black History Month swag bag. That's Terry Irby. Congratulations, Terry. And if you would like to... Um, also win the swag bag or have an opportunity to do so, go ahead and download or open the KBLA 1580 app today for your chance to win. And um, instructions are there. You can tell us who your favorite historical figure is from Black History, and that will automatically enter you in to possibly win. We are talking about race discrimination and employment cases with attorneys Bernard Alexander and Larry Organ, who had a recent... Um, $136.9 million record verdict against Tesla um, recently on behalf of their client, Mr. Diaz. Um, Bernard or Larry, do you all have any more cases against Tesla? Um, was that the only one or are you loading up on additional cases? I'm co-counseling on a case with uh, Tony Harmia uh, that uh, that we um, have submitted. That one, unfortunately, is in arbitration, but but still uh, worthwhile. I have a, a second case that we just filed, uh, Barker versus Tesla, with my co-counselor Saprita Sampath, and uh, that was just filed uh, about a week and a half ago, about a week before the DFEH filed its complaint against Tesla, and uh, and I've got. Uh, I get calls every week, half a dozen calls at least from Tesla employees uh, seeking assistance. You mentioned Tony Hermia. We look forward to having her in soon as well. Um, Larry, um, what about your firm? Do you guys, you all have additional cases against Tesla? This is a class action based on similar facts to Mr. Diaz. So uh, we've been prosecuting that class action with uh, Brian Schwartzlaw from uh, I guess it's 2017 is when we filed that. Uh, Tesla's doing everything they can to delay it. And uh, so, but we're, we're moving forward as fast as we can in that. Um, and I just have to say, you know, I wish Tesla would clean up their act uh, because uh, it, 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 it's still going on. Yes, they, uh, they called... Uh, um, Elon called uh, Larry an extortionist for filing a lawsuit. And, uh, you know, my comment to Larry is, well, 
I mean, if filing a lawsuit is what you have to do in order to get justice and you call that extortion, then I guess I'll uh, be an extortionist with you. Uh, but, but if the choices is, are being a, an extortionist or a plantation owner, I would rather be with the extortionist. Oh, wow. You guys are um, fighting words here today. <laughs> so uh, we we will continue our discussion. They've given us great insights, Bernard and Larry, about their their case current, their d- case together against Tesla and about cases that they both have continuing. Um, they both mentioned that you're as listeners are able to get in touch with their firms. Um, if you possibly have questions about your own potential lawsuits um, um, against your employers or just um, lawsuits in general and discrimination and employment claims in general. So we're here when we come forward, how we can stay in touch with these two attorneys and how you can get in touch with them and follow them and learn more about what they're doing. So stay tuned. KBLA Talk 1580. More KBLA Talk 1580's all new weekend lineup when we come forward. Thanks for spending some quality time with us and checking out the new weekend talk shows only on KBLA Talk, KBLA talk 1580. Yes, that's When a Man Loves a Woman by Percy Sledge. We are celebrating Black History, Black Love, Super Bowl, Go Rams. It's the Rams house this weekend. We have been in a great conversation with attorneys Bernard Alexander and Larry Organ about the state of race discrimination cases in the workplace, focusing in on their recent uh, record-setting verdict against Tesla on behalf of their client, Mr. Diaz. Um, Bernard, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing announced that they have filed a lawsuit against Tesla in Alameda, Alameda Superior Court in the Bay Area alleging continued alleged discrimination and harassment of black employees at Tesla. What does that do for the DS case or other Tesla cases you're working on? And or does it impact the work you're doing and that Larry's doing? Well, so the Diaz case was the exception because he wasn't subject to arbitration. And what uh, Tesla does is it tries to have all of its employees and now the staffing company employees that work inside the factory all be subject to arbitration. The DFEH is not subject to arbitration. It's bringing an enforcement action against uh, against an employer, a large entity. And so it has the ability to um, file a lawsuit and, and address the action. Um, if I understand correctly, it's for the time frame of 2015 to 2019 and and, um, and they've interviewed a number of people, and they collected evidence to substantiate that. So uh, the, the DFEH will be prosecuting, and for individuals who are representing, uh, for attorneys that are representing individuals, they may have the ability to file suits and join in that action, and that would be a way of circumventing the arbitration process. We know that uh, arbitration is is not good for employees. It's uh, it's basically the, the the employer wins most of the time. Uh, you have the repeat uh, repeat offender, so you don't get justice. Of pr- most of the time, you do not get justice in arbitration. Going to court is the way you get that justice. And that's a whole nother legal topic that we can talk about: mandatory inf- arbitration agreements in California. And I take offense to that as a mediator and arbitrator. We always help to give justice. If I could get time on your calendar, I'd be happy to try. <laughs> case in front of you. Okay, very good. Bernard, how do listeners get in touch with you? And then Larry, we want to hear the same for you. 
Um, you can go to our website, amflp.com, amflp.com, or you can call our office, 310-394-0888, and we'll be happy to, uh, to, to look at your matter, and, and hopefully we can help you with either your, your civil rights matter or your employment matter. He's one of the greats, folks. You definitely want to give him a call. Bernard Alexander at Alexander Morrison and Fair in Los Angeles. And if you're in the Bay Area, you can give Larry Oregon a call. Larry, how do folks get in touch with your firm? Uh, you can go to our website at civilrightsca.com, uh, or you can give us a call, 415-453-4740. And uh, we do encourage people to come forward because the only way that you can really address uh, systemic racism in the workplace is by having people stand up and bring lawsuits. Thank you both. We have had such an amazing discussion with attorneys Bernard Alexander and Larry Oregon. I wish we had more time. I definitely want to have you both come back. Next up is Urban Wellness Now with Cynthia Brooks. And in closing, um, this month is Langston Hughes' birthday, famed poet and writer. So I'd like to close with a quote from him. Hold fast to your dreams, for without them, life is a broken winged bird that cannot fly. So have a great day, folks. Until next time, keep your heads up and keep dreaming and keep flying. You've been listening to Angela Redock Wright, Legal Lens. They come back and join us next Saturday and Sunday as well. Have a great day. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.